Back on the, the evening of May 25th of this year, I officiated at the memorial service for Ellen Boyer. Ellen was a Christian and a, a longtime member of our congregation, and most of her family and friends were also believers in Christ and had God as their Father and Jesus as their Savior. And they also had our church family there to support them in this time of loss. Now it was a one and a half hour long time of celebration and numerous people were involved in the service. The, the music was great. We got to dress in bright colors. That was Ellen's wish that we would wear bright colors. And it was an incredible experience. But earlier that day, I had a funeral service at Atlantic Funeral Home for a man that I hardly knew. I, I couldn't tell you if he had a relationship with Jesus Christ or not. I wasn't able to get anyone else to be involved in the service. The music was pretty blah, and I had to wear my suit, but that's okay, because my wife tells me I look good in a suit, but it was just, everything was different about that service, and I didn't see joy on anyone's face there that day, and I wondered, okay, what was the difference between those two services, and the difference was the peace that no one can understand. So we are in a series of teaching called Highlightables, and we've been looking at some key passages of Scripture. We've actually even been memorizing portions of those. And we're going to finish that up this morning by looking at Philippians chapter 4. And in there, we're going to once again look at some verses that will sound very familiar to you. And Paul, in there, is talking to us about trading in our worries, our anxieties, all our stress in life for the good peace of God, which no one in this world can understand. So look at Philippians 4, verse 6a. Don't worry about anything. So remember that when your hot water tank starts to leak, or when your car breaks down, or when you're stuck in traffic, or when you're in this incredibly long lineup at the checkout counter, or maybe you've also heard that you're trying to get ready for Christmas and the stress is just so strong. Like Paul says, don't worry about anything. When you're bankrupt, when you get fired, when you're diagnosed with cancer, when you lose the baby, when your spouse leaves you, when you're betrayed by a friend, don't worry about anything. Now that's pretty easy for me to say, isn't it? It's a lot harder to do something like that. But there was an article in the New Yorker magazine, and it said that some of us are actually predisposed to worry. And scientists have discovered the gene. They said it's actually SLC-6A4, and it's a gene that's on chromosome 17Q12. And people that have a shorter version of this gene are predisposed to worry. And they, in the article, they said the test to determine whether you have it or not is, are you worried about whether you have it or not? <laughs> but the truth is, whether you have the SLC6A4 gene, whether that one is short or long with you, there are going to be times in your life when you will experience anxiety, when you will experience stress. But Paul says, don't worry about anything. But can we actually do that? Can we identify some things in our lives 
that we would need to take care of because they cause anxiety for us. Like one thing that we know causes stress is the unknown. Like we fear an uncertain future. And more people actually read their horoscope each day than read the Bible because they want to know what they think is going to come in the future as a result of that. So we fear what we don't know. And it's all those what-if questions. You know, what if the economy collapses? What if something happens to my child? And you could go on and on with hundreds of those. But the power of the what-ifs is paralyzing. In Matthew 6, 34, Jesus said, Don't worry about tomorrow. It will take care of itself. You have enough to worry about today. But you know what? It's hard not to worry about those things that are unknown to us. Then Paul said that anxiety in our lives is also caused by the unlikely. And we're constantly surrounded by this type of thing. It's reminders of things that probably won't but possibly could go wrong in our lives. You watch the news on TV and you see one disaster after another. Could possibly happen in your life, probably won't, but for some people it causes them to begin to worry. And in, psycho in psychology today, a writer said the main cause of the fear of flying is the extensive coverage that the media gives to an air crash. When flying is actually the safest method of transportation, yet we will worry because we see all the things that could happen. In Ecclesiastes 1, Solomon wrote, The more you know, the more you hurt. The more you understand, the more you suffer. And then, for us, maybe it's better sometimes that we don't know some things, especially the unlikely. That's why I don't go on to Facebook very often, because you find out things about people that you really didn't want to know in the first place. <laughs> and there's another thing that causes anxiety, and that is the uncontrollable. And there's so many things out there that we just can't control. They're outside our realm or sphere of influence. And stress occurs when I feel vulnerable, when I feel powerless to do anything about a situation. And there are a lot of those situations that we find ourselves in. It's some like this, sitting by the phone at home, waiting for the doctor to call with the test results. Or walking out of that meeting with your child's teacher, discovering that your child has a learning disability, and you're just kind of reeling a little bit. Or you hear that they're going to do a restructure at work, and some jobs are going to be eliminated. There are so many things out there that just aren't under our control. And you know the biggest uncontrollable thing is, it's actually death. Like we can't avoid it, and we can't control it, and whether it's the length of our own life, or the life of someone close to us, we have no control over that. Now, back in early 2007, I preached a message and I used an illustration, and I thought, I wonder if I could ever use that again. And I went through my records, and 140 of you that are attending now are new since then. So I thought, sure, I, I can use this again. But I found this website called deathclock.com, and it tells you when you're going to die. And you just put in some information, your date of birth, and some stuff like that. There's nothing about family genetics or anything to do with terminal disease, 
but you put the information in, and my death date is going to be on July the 14th, 2051. So, and right on there it tells you, I have 1 trillion, 224, excuse me, 1 billion, 224 million, 771,306 seconds. And then they, that was on Tuesday. And they tick off you know, 305, 304, 302, 301. So your life just basically wastes away before your eyes. So things not accurate. But I put in that I'm a pessimistic smoker, and they said you expired on July 20th, of 2011. Can't really trust it, but it, it, it's just something to look to and know that we do worry about death. That is tough enough to deal with, even if you knew when it would occur. But when we don't know when it's going to happen, it, it's overwhelming. But Jesus said this in Luke 12, verse 25. Can worry make you live longer? If you don't have power over small things, why worry about everything else? And we often worry about the things that we have no control over. There's one category, and that's the unrelated. It's usually nothing major in life, but it's just all sorts of little things that after a while overwhelm us. We might even call it stress contamination. It's the fussy children, the ringing telephone, it's the overdue bills, it's Christmas preparations, it's the car that needs an oil change or needs winter tires on it. And it, it's enough of those little things just kind of build up until it's a major problem. Now, I don't know what's causing anxiety in your life, but I know that we all deal with it at times. And we can't just quit worrying by ourselves. You can't just get up one morning and say, okay, Mr. Nicholson, but you're not going to worry today. It just doesn't happen that easily. We have to find a solution. And the best place to go for a solution is in Scripture. And Paul gives it to us here in chapter 4, verse 6 of Philippians. He says there are three things to consider. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. With thankful hearts, offer up your prayers and requests to God. So the first word that he uses is prayer. And when we hear the word prayer, we, we think of worship. We think of adoration. So when we're anxious, what we should do is just worship God in prayer. And as we do that, we'll get a picture of how majestic God is, how big God is, and how able He is to take care of that stress in our life. But we have to remember that He's in control. But when we get stressed, a lot of us go into heavy control mode. Like John Ortberg said, as a pastor, I've had the opportunity to do a lot of weddings. And most weddings feature one person who tends to be pretty stressed out, and they deal with their stress by becoming very controlling. And this person is known as the mother of the bride. And, you know, he's right. I've been involved in a lot of weddings. And one wedding I was involved in in particular, the mother of the bride was more than a little stressed. There were a number of things that she didn't like, and she didn't like me. And she told me the day of the wedding, listen, you're still replacing me. You better get your act together. And that was my mother-in-law. Yeah, she didn't say the replaceable part, but there were some stressors that day that we had to deal with and, and get my father-in-law involved. 
But people can be very controlling, and that's how they deal with stress. Something will be happening in our lives, and as strong and as smart as we think we are, we just can't deal with that on our own. So we have to ultimately realize that we need to turn the controls over. And that's okay, because God is able to be in control, to take control. And when we pray, we're reminded of just that. But look at Isaiah 40, the first part of verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. So can you just imagine, here's our God. He pours some water into the palm of his hand, and then just lets it run off, and you've got the Atlantic Ocean. He pours some more into the palm of his hand, and pours it out, and there's the Pacific Ocean. And then he just kind of flings his fingers like that, and all of a sudden you've got five great lakes. That's how amazing God is. That's how big he is. Then in chapter 66 of Isaiah, the Lord said, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house could you build for me? In what place will I rest? That God is so big that he uses the earth as his footstool. That's how amazing he is. Like we think that we're in this big world and that we're so small in this world, but God is even greater than that world. So there isn't anything that's going to happen in your life that's going to catch God by surprise. He's not going to say, whoa, didn't see that one coming. He knows exactly what's going to happen in every moment of your life. But you will have more peace in your life if you put him on the throne through prayer and worship. Another word Paul uses to describe the kind of prayer that will cancel out anxiety is requests. See, when we talk to God, it, we have a lot of problems, but we don't go on and on about our problems to God. But what we do is we invite God to come into our lives and help alleviate the problems. We want him to come in there and basically be our support. Anything in your life, whether big or small, that is causing you anxiety is worth going to God for and asking for his help. But look at what Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 7. He said, God cares for you, so turn all your worries over to him. And in J.P. Phillips' paraphrase, he said, because you are his personal concern, God wants you to turn all your worries over to him. And that's exactly what it is. Just you. You're his personal concern, along with everyone else in the world at the same time. So when you go to God in prayer, remember that he can alleviate that concern and always ask him the question, is there something that I could do that, as a result of this concern? When you're anxious about your marriage, maybe you need to do something about that and go get some counseling. Maybe you're anxious about your finances, so what you need to do is develop a budget and get things under control. Maybe you're anxious about your weight and your health. Well, maybe it's time to start eating correctly and exercising. Sometimes anxiety is a prompt for us to do something. But always ask God for his supernatural help. But we don't just then sit around and not do anything. He wants us to do what we can here in this world as well. 
We say that we believe in a powerful, loving God, but when we worry, we're saying that there's no such thing as God, and that we're going to try and carry this worry all by ourselves. Like we were never intended to do that. We were never intended to carry all these worries and concerns and stresses. He wants to carry them for us. So just ask Him. That's all you have to do. Then Paul said that a thankful heart will cancel out anxiety. That Peter, in one of his books, said, We need to pray with gratitude and appreciation to our Heavenly Father. And this is an amazing stress reliever because it, it gets our minds off our own problems. If we don't start thinking about the blessings in our lives, all we'll think about is the negative stuff that's happening. We'll dwell on that. We, we'll get depressed. But at the heart of thanks and giving thanks is what we might call the art of noticing. So when you open your eyes up and realize all the blessings that God has placed in your life, then all of a sudden, those problems just won't seem so big. And you will realize that God has blessed you in incredible ways. Like parents always struggle with getting their children to say thank you. Like when someone has given them something, or, or someone has complimented them, or done something nice for them. Every time you hear the parent, what do you say, Johnny? Like, what do you say, Susie? They, they always need that prompting. And Parents love it when we hear our children express gratitude. And I'm sure that God loves that as well. So this morning, what we're going to do as a congregation is verbally express our thanks to God. I am going to ask some questions, and I want you to respond with a rousing thank you each time. Like when you wake up in the morning and realize that you're blessed with another day, like what do you say? That's right. When you sit down at a table with more food than you can possibly eat, like what do you say? Thank you. That's right. And when God gives you people in your life who love you and care for you, like what do you say? Thank you. We're building up a little here. When you open up your Bible and you read about how much God loves you, what do you say? Thank you. And when you're celebrating the Lord's Supper, the communion, and you're thinking about what God did and what Jesus did, your only response can be, Thank you. The thankful heart doesn't have much room left for anxiety. So take the time to thank God, and you will get your mind off your problems, and you will start to focus on the blessings that you have. Another part of this solution is in Philippians 4, verse 8. And this is where we're to actually keep our minds on the right things. Finally, my friends, keep your minds on whatever is true, pure, right, holy, friendly, and proper. Don't ever stop thinking about what is truly worthwhile and worthy of praise. And sometimes the reason we're anxious is because of the thoughts that are going on in our minds. And the way we think determines the way that we feel. The way we think governs our emotions, it creates our attitudes, and shapes our behavior. So we have to watch what we think about. But then, on the other side, there's this law of exposure, which simply says that our mind absorbs and reflects what it's exposed to. And someone called it the law of the sponge. So we are what we think about, and we think about what we're exposed to. I want to read it that again, make sure I get it straight. I had it confused in the first service. 
So we are what we think about, and we think about what we're exposed to. But Paul says to be careful about what you allow into your mind. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul said, We capture people's thoughts and make them obey Christ. And that's what we want to do, is capture our thoughts for Christ. There's another part of this scriptural solution, and that is to let God live in us, and to live for Him in all things. In verse 9, You know the teachings I gave you, and you know what you heard me say and saw me do, so follow my example, and God who gives peace will be with you. But we can't separate our emotions from what's going on on the outside. And when we don't live God's way and we don't put His words into practice, then how can we expect to have that peace that is just beyond all understanding in our lives? But when we do things God's way, and then we can expect that His peace is going to be with us. God's way is the best way. So He tells us to put others first. And when we do that, we don't live with selfish concerns. We don't live with strained relationships. He tells us not to covet. And when we do that, then we don't have the anxiety of jealousy or comparisons. He tells us to save sex for marriage. And when we put that into practice, we don't live with guilt and the relational, emotional, physical, and spiritual consequences. God tells us to forgive people. And when we put that into practice, then we don't have bitterness. We don't harbor hatred toward others. God tells us to be generous, and when we put that into practice, we're content with what we have, and we don't always want more. God tells us to meet with other Christians, and when we put that into practice, all of a sudden, we have this group of people that gathers around us to support us and help us through the burdens and the stresses that we face each day. God's Word has been telling us to obey God even when we don't feel like it, because our feelings will catch up with our actions. Now Paul, when he's writing these words in Philippians chapter 4, he's not on the deck of a beautiful cruise ship in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean. He's actually in a prison. He's sitting on the ground, he's chained to a guard or a soldier, and he doesn't know if he is going to live for another day or not. Yet, this is what he writes in chapter 4, verse 7. Then, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 4. Always be glad because of the Lord. I will say it again, be glad. Now, do you think he felt glad? Like, do you think he felt like rejoicing? Like, there's no way that he could feel that way. But he did it anyway. So there is one last part of this familiar passage, and that is the seventh verse which I tried to jump to there. And this is a guarantee from God. Then, because you belong to Christ Jesus, God will bless you with peace that no one can completely understand. And this peace will control the way you think and feel. A peace that no one can completely understand. And we live under this illusion that if certain things changed in our lives, then we would easily have peace that we would have less anxiety. If I didn't have these problems, I would be at peace. If I had an unlimited income, if I had the perfect job, if I had a different spouse, if I had different parents, if I had different children, then I'd be at peace. 
But the peace that no one can completely understand isn't dependent upon the circumstances. Finishing up in Philippians 4, verses 11 to 13. I'm not complaining about having too little, he said. I have learned to be satisfied with whatever I have. I know what it is to be poor or to have plenty. And I have lived under all kinds of conditions. I know what it means to be full or to be hungry, to have too little or too much. Christ gives me the strength to face anything. So the peace that no one can completely understand isn't dependent upon what happens out there. It's dependent upon what happens in here. What's going on in my heart and in my soul. It's hard to explain. It, and, but that good peace can still be yours. I, I talk to some Christians and, and I'm working with them through some horrific things. And I often wonder, you know, how they're doing it. Like, I, I wonder, you know, if my wife left me, how, how would I respond? Or if my daughter had this serious disability, like, how would I respond? But I see the peace of God giving them strength for each day. And it's always enough for each day. And they can't explain it. There's no way that they can explain it. You have to experience it. Some of you are going through some pretty rough times right now. But if you call upon God, He will be faithful. He will support you. He will give you His peace. But there is a question that you have to answer, first of all. Have you traded the worries? Have you traded the stresses? Have you traded the anxiety of this world for a peace that no one can completely understand? Sometimes worry is prompting an action on our part, like I said earlier. Maybe you're worried about your relationship with God. Maybe you're worried about whether or not you will be in heaven or not. Well, you can take some action. You can make a decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. You could either walk to the front of this building and make that decision. You could talk to me afterwards or any of our other pastoral staff. But you need to take that first step in order to know Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Maybe you're already a believer and you're experiencing all kinds of issues in your life and you think you're going through it alone. Well, there's a church family here that's willing to support you as well. So call upon that support. Let's stand.